0: Into the you know the nitty gritty of what makes music and and you know humans interacting a, such a great thing. It just feels like uh you know like somebody this lady came up to me th- uh, a couple dirty gems gigs ago that we played. We and this lady came up and she was like, "Can you feel the energy?" <laughs> I was like, "You know, I think I can." <laughs>
1: welcome to and if love remains i'm your host mike levitt and i have on the line today um, you know somebody i'm very excited to talk to uh, mr chris rogers from chris rogers and the dirty gems um, he's the the front man the vocalist the, the keyboardist a man after my own heart <laughs> uh, i just super excited to have him on the show we're going to talk about his new album talk about being a musician and and just all things that, that are going on thanks for being on the show chris yeah, Mike, thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Um, so I got to tell you um, how I ran into you. Um, the drummer in my band, his name is, is Patrick Ferguson. He he uh, was listening to uh, Underground Radio and uh, or Underground Rock, I think it's called, uh, on Spotify. And he sends me this, this track um, called I Can Still Feel It. And he's like, you got to check this thing out. We got to play this thing, man. Oh, right <laughs> it's, on and so he's he sends it over to me and man it is it is so great um and uh so i, I had i had to give a shout out to patrick for for introducing me to you to you guys and and what you guys are doing so but um before before we get into like the album and what what you guys are doing now tell me a little, a little bit about yourself where where are you from and and tell me a little bit about your background
0: oh well uh well thanks patrick i get too, uh well, I'm from Maine. I grew up in Maine, uh, for the most part, anyways, and about a half hour outside of Portland, which is one of the only cities in Maine, really. And um, yeah, I grew up on a lake, kind of in the middle of nowhere, almost. And um, yeah, I just started playing music when I was a little kid. I always had a, a, a big thing for playing music and joined a band in high school, as the story goes, you know? Yeah. And uh, I've been... <laughs> I've had my head down doing
1: it ever since. I like, guess I'm 36 now, so I've been, do- I've been doing it for a while. Right on. Tell, tell me about the piano because I'm a pianist. I, I have i had a lot of pianists on my show, um, and but uh, it, it's funny. Like I started thinking about it, like and I and I love the great you know frontman pianists, Elton John, Billy Joel, you know Little Rich. I mean, the, they're they're just so great. But there's not that many, and we talk about why. But but why? What what drew you to the piano at an early age?
0: You know, I that's a it's a weird question because I wonder that sometimes too myself. Um, I went to a daycare that had a toy piano at it, just like this little tiny thing, and I used to just kind of pick Disney songs out on it when I was really Probably. little, and uh, I'm not really well. I'm just like one note here and there, you know, right? And uh, and I when I was seven years old, I was diagnosed with type one diabetes. And at the same exact time I was bugging my parents for piano lessons because of this toy piano at the daycare. And I think that they felt guilty that I had just gotten diabetes. So they said yes to the lessons. <laughs> and <laughs> and like I like that. That's when I started the thing, taking the things yeah. you had to
1: do, Chris. I know. Yeah, I
0: I, I know. It was worth it, though. Right. <laughs> yeah. So and I, you know, I just started taking lessons, kind of you know, from the lady down the street, kind of thing. Half hour lesson every week. Um, and then it just progressed when I got to high school, and um, I joined like the the jazz band and all that kind of stuff, and did all, the All Allstate uh jazz stuff and ended up going to college for music and jazz and music business and uh now yeah just been doing it really ever since i've always kind of known that i wanted to do music yeah so i've i've just always done it it's been like like all, every weekend in college i was playing gigs instead of partying and
1: stuff that's good man making money and you know staying out of trouble that that and having a good time that's the best of all worlds yeah i mean i guess
0: i was still going to the parties (laughs) a different role it's a little
1: bit different as a performer though (laughs) right
0: yeah
1: (laughs) oh that's that's great and 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 like um playing you know so so i started i started taking you know piano lessons i was young too and you know i and i have a pretty classical background um and and then grew to love you know rock and and jazz and and all that stuff um tell me about like just just like playing the piano did did you learn kind of classic hey Hannon and and all that you know stuff and then and then and then what kind of drew you to to what you're doing now and and the jazz rock stuff
0: yeah my first piano teacher was a classical piano teacher for sure i think a lot of people that take piano when they're younger have that yeah, and uh, and I I liked it at the time, but the second I found out that I could play songs on the radio, it was over for me. Right, classical. <laughs> uh, I when I, we moved when I was uh, I don't know twelve or thirteen, and we moved from upstate New York. We only lived there for like a few years, but we moved back to Maine. And when I got to Maine, I had a piano teacher pretty much all through high school who let me play whatever I wanted, um, within reason, you know. And so, you know, I would learn just like songs that were off the radio and uh, different songs that like had come out and were on like MTV stuff like that at the time. And then, you know, once you join a band, then all of a sudden the songs on the radio don't matter anymore. And you got to jump like 30 years in the past to start playing songs from like the 60s and 70s. And that like all the music from the 60s and 70s was really what grabbed me more than anything else. Like uh, at the time it was bands like Aerosmith and Led Uh Zeppelin and like the stones and stuff like that. But as I got older and especially looked for more piano music, I started getting way more into like the Beatles and uh, you know, Leon Russell. And I was always into Billy Joel and Elton John as a kid, but just like branching out kind of beyond that, like the beach boys and just anything with crazy cool piano stuff, little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis.
1: Right. That's, yeah, that, that that's pretty. I was going to ask you a little bit about your your influences because I mean, you definitely have a, have a strong. I that's one thing I loved about when I was listening to your album that drew me to it is it does. It's kind of a a modern take on that those great '70s singer songwriter days. You know when you had really innovative and cool ideas. You know, kind of kind of wrapped in this. You know, uh, fun party style rock and roll you know it's, it's it's really it was a it was a great time and and you you really kind of do great homage to it and what you're what you what you guys are doing
0: oh thanks man yeah i i totally agree with that um yeah like a, like a joe cocker record or something like that is a great example of that i think you've got a lot of styles on a lot of those old records. And I think for us, as far as that stuff goes, it's just because this time around we had everybody in the band writing songs. Mm. So uh, it was a little bit tricky for me to like give up uh, control a little bit of the songwriting process. But as soon as that, uh, as soon as I kind of, I don't think anybody else noticed that. I hope not. But as soon as, (laughs) as soon as I gave up (laughs) the reins a little bit, everything really started to flourish and we
1: started coming up with some cool stuff. Oh, that that is cool. What? T- tell me a little about about the the dirty gems. How do you guys get together? Who are these guys that you're playing with?
0: Uh, well, the guys in the band right now that are currently in the band is uh, I'll start with the drums, Craig Sala, because him and I have played in a million bands together. Uh, he plays in the Kurt Baker band and uh, played with the Connection. He plays with all of our friends, uh, Jeff Palmer and Brad Marino, and just this we have the whole crew of, of New England guys up here that Craig's played with. Uh, and he's been with the Dirty Gems, I think, the longest now in almost like 10 years. And then on bass, uh, one of the songwriters, too, Ryan's been in the band for five or six years, something like that. He he wrote a lot of uh, She Likes to Party and Tortuga, yeah. which is like a Latin sort of bossa nova thing. That's a really cool tune.
1: That's a that's an interesting, cool tune that you guys got there.
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, he, he yeah, he just sent he, once in a while. Ryan will just send me stuff and it's like all done already pretty much just needs lyrics uh and that tortuga was one of them and uh and tom Hall is a guitar player and he also did a lot of writing on tortuga but he also wrote uh don't look back and uh yeah he's like just we've all kind of had a huge part in in uh you know coming together to write the record and just try to like push boundaries maybe not boundaries musically as far as like musical history goes but boundaries for us as a band
1: yeah well it, it was cool listening to it because uh, you know i and again i, I want to it reminded me a little bit um you know listening to like um back in the, the late eighties and listening to like, uh, um, uh, the stray cats and remembering how just cool rockabilly was and just how you could do some really fun and great stuff, you know, with, with the the stray cats. And this kind of reminded me the same thing. Like it just, it it reminded me how amazing and great the, that, that, the, that, you know, 70s 80s time was like i i have to go back to that because it just it just was it was so fun to listen to and so refreshing you don't hear the chord changes anymore (laughs) like not Mm. everything was one five six four (laughs) right right yeah you know it's really it it, it, is it's fun it's fun to play it's fun to listen to and and it sounds like you guys are having a great time doing it i mean it's 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 i i just i'm super impressed with it man thank you yeah and i for at least
0: for me cuz i've been on all the records i'm the only one that's been on every single one of them i guess obviously <laughs> but uh you know i as a piano player i think a lot of times it's it's easy to maybe play too many chords it's like it's hard to describe but like when you look down at the piano yeah. it's all it's all like staring you in the face you know and you can see sort of like all the things that might be harder to see cuz like a guitar or a bass is like a pretzel It's like you've got everything laid out, but it's all in some weird order and you have to like make these weird patterns to make everything work. But the piano is like how we base everything music theory wise and music. Everything's based off the piano, you know, so it's easy to do things like like move things around a little bit when you probably shouldn't do it because you can just you can see it. And you're like, oh, that'd be cool. And then it sounds like a little bit, you know, I don't know how to describe all this, but Elton John is really good at doing this. Not he doesn't do it too much. He does it really well. Yeah. Um, And I, for a long time, did it too much. (laughs) So (laughs) I would have like, you know, 13, 14 different chords and songs and stuff. And it would be (laughs) just like... I think that it would sound fine, but as far as like playing- Progressive it, it,
1: it, pop rock kind of-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like, it, it. yeah, it was way more kind of like proggy power pop or something like that. Yeah. Like 70s power pop than really- I mean, it was great. I love to do it, but these songs, we made a pretty conscious effort to like- slim down the chord progressions and make them more simple and every make everything more like a sing, sing along kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, I'm so happy that we did that because the songs are a lot easier to play. That's one thing. But the other thing was that it just allowed so much stuff to come through on
1: the song because we had so much room to do stuff with. Right. And that, and that, by the way, that it's funny. You say it's easy to play. The cool thing about doing stuff that's, you know, quote, easier to play is that you can like be creative in that space.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. And that used to just be like all of us kind of uh white knuckling every gig trying to get every little lick in line. Right. And you know, uh, harmonies and we'd have like three guitar parts and one guitar player and like three, <laughs> three keyboard parts and me with my keyboard and I've got to sing the song too. And just like, uh, Stuff like that, and just made everything just a little bit trickier and harder, especially going on the road if we had to find a fill-in for somebody or if somebody couldn't do it. There's a lot more things to learn and have to kind of keep up with. And so, yeah, this record, like, She Likes to Party, I think, is there's a little bridge section that has uh, a few different chords. But other than that, I think the whole song is two chords. Uh, I can still feel it. Is like it's like a G kind of boogie thing for the whole all the verses and the choruses, and it just has like a like a right.
1: Then you got that key change, which is dope.
0: Oh right, yeah, but and even that, it's still the same chords, right?
1: <laughs> just <laughs> the right key.
0: Gr- uh, so it's like you know all that kind of stuff. You know, and that's what hit songs have. I think a lot of the biggest hit songs have uh, more subtle things. Uh, they're not all stay to heaven, you know. So we we just kind of took that approach and, or I took that approach too. this as far as writing and, and doing stuff just to, I wouldn't say to dumb things down, but it's just more to, to kind of settle into our space with it and not gotcha. push anything or be like too contrived about, you know, Oh, we should, cause that happens a lot too. I think when people write songs, you think, Oh, I should, it should, it's, this isn't good enough. You know, I should do more. We should put more stuff in here. And then that, that, thing is the thing that makes the song just too much to be listenable. Ah, oh, yeah, that's
1: a great point. That's you know? that's really interesting, well, and like and it thing. does. It, it can take away from the essence of what you're trying to say is the, of the of the song itself. You know, the hook, the you know, it, the lyrics, like what what whatever whatever you're trying to like bring out. It can it, it becomes the package becomes more interesting than the song itself.
0: Right, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and <clears throat> you know, there's like the mentality of the guys in the dirty gyms, we all kind of differ on our approach to music, but a lot of it that a lot of the things that we all like really agree on and really not like we, we don't fight or anything like that, but just a lot of the things that we all really have in common is that sort of thing. Like just like actually playing the tunes and being able to do whatever the tune is with just four people or five people, whatever it may be. Um, and if you have to dumb it down or strip it down, I should say, still keeping the essence of the tune in there, so that it's still the same song, still has the same energy. It's just a little different arrangement. So at
1: at the heart, of, at the heart of you guys, feel like you're a live band that are that that's you know playing songs as opposed to like you know the Beatles in their late days. You know. Oh um, right, yeah. yeah,
0: for sure, yeah. And I think that's, that you know there's a the our biggest strength as a band, I think, is that because we um you know we're all full-time musicians and stuff and uh i play in different bands up here to make money and so does ryan and tom and craig plays with different bands too we all play pretty much like 200 gigs a year or so <clears throat> doing stuff even if it's not the dirty gem so when yeah. we come together and we're usually to- i mean we're together quite a bit but we all kind of know what the deal is know what each other are going to do we've played so many gigs and shows together that we just kind of have everything down as like a you know just we just kind of know what the other ones are going to do before it happens so that helps quite a bit too
1: yeah so we're we're talking to chris rogers of chris rogers and the dirty gems uh their their newest album still dirty you got to check it out you got to go to go to uh chris rogers.com check out the album it is it is a lot of fun Um, everything about it. I just, I just, like I said, it's, it's, it's nostalgia and it's new at the same time. I, I just, I love it where, um, uh, uh, talk to me about now, obviously this isn't your first album. Where does this, where is this in your catalog? Like, tell me about the history of the dirty gems a little bit.
0: Well, we put our first EP, I guess you could call it out in 2011, which is a long time ago now. It sounds, seems like. Uh it was just it's me Covid and- time
1: reduces all time, you know, it changes <laughs> yeah, right. everything.
0: So. Yeah. <laughs> the before time, yeah. Right. <laughs> and BC. it was
1: ju-
0: that yeah, right, yeah. It's all right though. It's in the it's, I I wouldn't mind this record being in the past, I guess. But uh yeah, it was just a three-piece album or EP and it was uh piano, bass and drums and we kind of were going for like a 60s pop, piano pop throwback album so we recorded almost everything live i think and at the studio called the cave in portsmouth new hampshire and that yeah that's all we just put it kind of put it out but it's it's very dated sounding and has like a lot of old school uh mid 60s kind of you know tempos and song chord progressions all that kind of stuff yeah um And then the first kind of proper release was, well, I guess it's another EP, but some people call it a full length. I don't know. It's got eight songs. So take what, you know, do it. Yeah. You you can call it what you want. Yeah. Uh, We're
1: we're modern. What's an album today anyway?
0: uh, Yeah. Um, (laughs) And that was called Headlines. And that was the first time that we got played on um, like Sirius XM radio and stuff like that. And uh, st- little Steven Van Zant sort of took notice of us. Then I think, um, and then we had a few uh, little like singles that came out that were also part of a record called "Losing the Frequency" that came out in 2017. And they and also wicked cool. Uh, we got lucky. Kind of, kind of a split scenario with the with losing the frequency. We had a record label from Boston put the record out called Rumbar Records. Uh But Wicked Cool bought the publishing. So they were doing like publishing stuff for it. Okay. So that's where you
1: you started to get your relationship started with uh, little Stevie.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I had also played on other songs that he had featured on the station. And uh, the the first song that I was on that got played on the station was a song called Seven Nights to Rock by The Connection. And that's a cover of an old, I want to say it's Moon Mulligan is the guy that wrote the original seven to rock. It's like it's like a blues song. Nick Lowe covered it, though, too. I think that was that was where they got their version of it. But uh, but yeah, so and also the Kurt Baker band is another band I used to play with that was uh, featured quite a bit back then on Sirius XM. And Kurt is still featured a lot because he's on Wicked Cool Records, too. Uh, But anyways, yeah, so. Kind of, I don't know, fast forward even more in the future, and I I don't know. I sent uh, Dennis his name at Wicked Cool and Sirius XM. I sent him a couple covers that we were going to be putting out. And this was 2017 or 18, I won't say. And they were into the covers. One of the covers was a song that nobody had ever heard. So it didn't really sound like a cover. It's called Every Every Little Crack. And it's by a, a Swedish band. So nobody in the states really know knows the song or anything like that. And that's Steven, cool. Yeah, yeah. And like I, of course, know the original one. It, it was sent to me by somebody in Europe a long time ago, saying that we should play it, and uh, I love it. And we started playing it like immediately. But yeah, little Stephen had a couple notes on it that just wanted to change a couple things. But he said like he really liked the song and he'd love to put it out as a single. And so that was the first thing that we did with Wicked Cool. Oh, that's uh, and, cool yeah it was it was great because <clears throat> i i mean like i sent it to the underground garage radio station like as a done song saying hey we're gonna put this out next week uh you know hope you like it if you want to play it you know i would love that but you know no you know no pressure You're right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah and the dennis who's the producer at the underground garage said hey did you check your email and i hadn't seen it of course i like never check my email in time and <laughs> and it, he says go, he said go check go check your email if you haven't checked it so i go check my email and it was an email from little steven just saying how much he liked the song and all this and that oh that's uh, great so it was cool yeah and and you know it's just kind of progressed through from that um when we did this record you know i send Little Steven, all the demos, and um, you know, he goes through at least like I don't know, it must have been like six or seven of them, the strongest songs that we thought could all be singles, and went through like with a fine tooth comb and just kind of critiqued them a little bit and gave us some pointers and um, a lot of stuff that it's like hard to say how, like, how much it's kind of intangible stuff a lot of the time. Like, he didn't change the way the arrangement of some of the songs were, but he would do little things like. Um, for example, on we have like a Motown song called "Don't Turn Around," uh huh, and yeah. little Steven just you know he the, on he sends us back like voice memo kind of reco- like MP3s, of okay, just him him like listening to the songs and playing along and just giving pointers and stuff, and uh, he he changed the key of the chorus for that song, so the verse is in one key and the chorus is in a different key. And we had it just all in the same key when I sent it to him. So it's like
1: little things like that So it just adds adds a little energy to the track and
0: Yeah. And it's like that's almost like producer stuff, you know, like just how to how to really like put cherries on top of of the Sunday. And make it, you know, push it to the next level. So, uh, it's that's that's a lot of the stuff that he was sending back to us, you know, like maybe cut this intro by a couple bars and just to make it punchier and, you know, come in quicker. Just little, little things like that. It goes a long way. You would, you, you, uh, I don't know if you'd be surprised to, to know that, but it,
1: it's a big deal. Yeah. Just no, getting... I think a lot of people would be like the details that go into like, Uh, a final production of a tune, like you think, you know, uh, three chords in a dream, but there's, 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 there's a real art to like putting together um, a track that, that is not just viable, but, but stands out against the rest of the pack, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. And of course, you know, as the artist too, it's like, sometimes I feel like I don't mix my own records either because I feel too close to the music at that point. You know, and it's just like my objectivity is just gone. Yeah. You know, I have, I have no idea, really. Like when I, when I, you know, all of us in the band, when we like when we pass the record off to be like mixed and mastered, and it's all done and everything, we're like every. The, I know the moment that it happens, we're all just thinking like, well, here we go. <laughs> you know well it's like all this work we put in or just we're just gonna ship it off and it's just gonna be you know we'll see what happens that's kind of like right. the deal you know because you put so much into it uh yeah. and by the time you're done with it it's like i don't know what another what a you know a comparable feeling would be maybe like your 18 year old kid going to college and just dropping them off or something, right. and, and like hoping it works out. And hope, but no, but hope your kid doesn't like get into any fights or like get, go to parties or like do anything crazy. Right. But you're like, you're like just stay in your dorm all day. Yeah, but yeah. you also have like no control over it.
1: Right. <laughs> right, right, right. It's out. It's now out in the world for the world to. And by the way, it's funny. I talked to I've talked to a lot of musicians, and there's there's this like it is a, a weird thing. Um, it, when we talk about, you know, performances or, or anything, like like there is a relationship between the song, the composer, the songwriter, um, the musician who's performing, and then the audience that's listening. Like there is this like weird relationship where the song, you know, kind of belongs to everybody. And, 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 and through that process, we, we were able to like, um, uh, you know, it, it's a way that, that it's the way that we communicate, you know, musically. And, and the audience really, you know, whether it's, it's listening on the radio or listening or, or in a live show or whatever it is, like there's that relationship that, that the song kind of becomes theirs as much as it becomes anybody else's.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think for me personally, like I had lost some of that a little bit with before the pandemic hit, like I was super jaded. Like I talked about before being, you know, we're all. In the band, professional musicians up here in Maine, and <clears throat> the grind of doing that—I've been doing it for ten years now, or a little over ten years—and I had become really jaded. Like it's, it's hard to describe, but the the easiest way to to describe it is like when someone would ask me to play "Don't Stop Believing," I would do it, but I would be really annoyed by it. <laughs> 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 uh, you know, like same. <laughs> Same uh, right. with like brown eyed girl or right. anything by Jimmy Buffett. I still feel that way about Jimmy Buffett. I think, but <laughs> unless unless it's me and I'm on an island drinking a margarita, like I don't want to hear it.
1: Right. <clears throat> I'll have somebody else play it. But, yeah, like yeah.
0: <laughs> if I'm in that exact situation, I would I would gladly take it all. But right. uh, <clears throat> but yeah, and and. Over the you know the the first like two months of the pandemic, I don't think I touched my piano or did anything as far as uh, you know music goes. I just like didn't sing anything, didn't didn't play anything. I might have done some like mixing stuff because I love to mix, but I definitely didn't play. And over the time period of the pandemic, you know, I started to like kind of come back into myself and start to appreciate those little things like, you know, human interaction and all that kind of stuff. And I also got to the point where I felt like people I was just singing into a brick wall a lot of the nights like I wasn't getting any energy back from the crowd ever. And even when I was I wasn't, you know, just whatever I wasn't into it. And I don't know what happened over the pandemic, really. But like, I sort of transformed that whole mentality. And now you know, I've been playing. I played last year, too. But and this year, I've, I've noticed. And I hope this kill. I hope this continues because I think part of it is everybody else as well because of the pandemic. But I feel a, a genuine energy now from everybody that you know we play for, <clears throat> and I think that they really missed having live music. But I think also that uh, there's a lot of us, you know, musicians out there who maybe weren't having as good a time as it looked like we were having, and yeah. now we're. we're we're kind of back into the, you know, the nitty gritty of what makes music and, and you know, humans interacting a, such a great thing. It just feels like, uh, you know, like somebody, this lady came up to me a uh, couple Dirty Gems gigs ago that we play. We play at like a lobster shack, but we play a lot of songs off of our record and stuff, too. Uh, and we play Well, we play for like three hours. And this lady came up and she was like, can you feel the
1: energy? I <laughs> It's like. <laughs> you know i think i can yeah (laughs) by the way it it, it is wild it's 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 almost like a a reset in a sense like like you you um you know you become so used to the energy that it deadens you and then all of a sudden like not having it you know it's going cold turkey like we all did us musicians it was it was wild like not being able to play not being able to to um you know Oh man. And I do, I, I, to this day, I remember the the first live gig that I did, you know, after the pandemic. And it was like, Whoa, man, I totally forgot what this was all about.
0: Yeah. It was, it was like, I didn't even know if I'd be able to like it had been, I think two or two and a half months. I didn't have a gig because, and because it was, you know, up here in, in June, all the outside lobster shack places opened and we had some gigs and the, uh, yeah. Like I, th- I didn't even know if I would remember how to play the P you know, like the songs. And of course, like I've played those songs like a bazillion
1: times. So it was fine. Right, right. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> it came- but it is, There's
1: that nervous energy. By the way, there's something to that too. Like that nervous energy isn't a bad thing. It just is. It's, you know, but, but you can lose it in that in the, you lose your edge, I guess, you know?
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. And in, Even that feeling like once you start, you know, halfway through that first gig, when you realize that you can still do it and then you get started to get, you know, you get a little confident and excited and all that kind of stuff. I'm not sure when they were, but there was a few gigs where like I hadn't played better than that in a long time just from being, you know, so excited to, you know, to be there and have people, especially this year, because people, you know, once the restrictions were lifted, uh, we you know people at the at the bars that we were playing at could get up out of their seats and dance. Yeah, oh man, and, it makes and, a big difference, huh? Yeah, and last year they couldn't do that, so it was kind of like playing cocktail hours all the time last year.
1: <laughs> right, which is
0: like fine, but if you're playing some like kind of rock and stuff, it gets a little bit weird. <laughs> uh, just vibe wise, right. it's a little weird. I hate like I hate when there's like one person there and the only songs we have left are like some you know some GNR song or something like that. It's just like <laughs> ah. We're just going to blow this person out <laughs>
1: like we're gonna like We're going like to throw them up against the back wall with the amps and stuff. Here we go. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's great. So, um, uh, again, talking to, to Chris Rogers of Chris Rogers and the Dirty Gems, you, so you, you have some gigs uh, coming up here later this fall. Um, talk about that a little bit.
0: Yeah, we're getting back on the road, and we're playing up in Portland, if anybody's like in Portland for some reason. A little bit here and there up before that, but uh, our first kind of club gig is up in Portland at the place called Santiki Studios. It used to be an old uh, like tanning salon, and they turned the tanning salon rooms, so salon rooms, into practice space rooms. Okay, and and there's a huge room in the middle of it, and it has like a stage and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they do like killer shows there. It's really cool. So we're doing a show there. We're also doing, a, in Boston, There's this, we're doing David Bash's International Power Pop Festival, uh, oh, which is, uh, yeah, PA's Lounge or Union Tavern. I can't remember what the name of that place is. They changed. It used to be PA's Lounge, and now it's Union Tavern, or the other way around. I can't remember. It's just been so long. I can't remember. Uh, and then the big one, which is like my favorite place to play uh, in the country, I think, is we're playing uh, in Ridgewood, New Jersey, at live at Drew's house, <clears throat> and it's it. This guy Drew Eckman just makes his living room into like a house into a venue, basically.
1: Wait, wait, does he, he, does he does he does he put those up on YouTube on time from time to time? Uh, yeah, sometimes, yeah. He's had, like, some pretty- Because I think like, I've seen a couple of- uh I, it just, It's striking a memory of, of something like that. Like, I've seen so, some stuff. That's that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, he had, like, some sort of- I want to say, like, a feature on, on like, a, some sort of news program or something. Okay. about it or something, too. But, yeah, he's had, like, the zombies play there. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I know, like, Jesse Mallon plays there quite a bit. We've played there before, but it's, like- it's such a good time cuz he really just opens up his whole house and it's kind of like a potluck dinner sort of thing that goes on so every, oh, everybody that like comes to the show or at least a few people anyways that come to the show are bringing food dishes how and, cool is that yeah and he like takes all the furniture out of his living room and of course like his his uh living room like looks out over I want to say it's like a lake or something and it's all glass, like wall kind of thing. Uh, So the band is up against that. And, you know, we look back at the audience, but the audience sees like the band and this beautiful, you know, scene out the window and all that kind of stuff. And he just puts folding chairs all throughout the living room. I want to say there was like 50 people in there. The last time that we played there. Yeah. It's such a weird concept in a lot of ways. Like what, especially when you're driving up, you're like, what, this can't be it. Because it's just a na- it's just a neighborhood.
1: Where's the park? <laughs> <team>? <laughs> yeah, it
0: just it just seems like a little counterintuitive. But once you get in there and set up and everything, Drew's a really great guy, and he has bands himself too. That he he has his own band called X Men. Uh, and it's yeah, it's so awesome. The uh, the people that go there are very you know receptive to all kinds of music, and they all kind of like. I think a lot of them even do their homework and like listen to the bands before they come. Even if they don't know the band, like it's such a cool yeah. experience. So that's like the that's actually the first place I booked once we got stuff situated again. Um but yeah, if you're ever like in the New Jersey area and he's having a show or you have like a chance to play there or anything like that, like do it. Cause it's the it's uh it's so cool. It, like we've we've had such a good like time a cool, there.
1: Exp- it sounds like a cool experience, yeah. That sounds really cool. Um Tod I wanted to ask you a little bit about like being a musician and not necessarily like, like the pandemic thing is a whole other thing. And maybe we'll talk about that too, but like being a musician today, when, as far as it, it comes to like, um, uh, you know, getting yourself out there being, you know, um, being profitable, you know, all of those kinds of th- those things, it, it's so much different than it was, you know, when I started or, you know, about, you know, years ago, you know it used to be you know about finding a label getting a you know getting a uh you know getting some some deal um record deal and and you know y- trying to make it it's so much different now where you almost have to come pre-made but <clears throat> i'm just curious about like your philosophy like what is um you know what what how are you guys trying to manage the music the business part of the music business
0: yeah well we're in a lot of ways we're like almost like a punk band where we do a lot of stuff ourselves. Yeah. Um, when I, 2000, I want to say like 2010, 2009, 2010, something like that. When I was in like my high school band that I had in, in college band and we put records out and all that kind of stuff. And you know, they were, they were good records and uh, we had radio play and we, we cared about it and all that kind of stuff. It's, I'm going to say it like it was just some band that happened real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like 10 years <laughs> of doing stuff. Uh, and we played like all over the place. It, the band was called Highway Jackson and we were all like, you know, high school buddies and stuff. And, uh, you know, we had a, like a record mastered and stuff by like Grammy Award winning mastering engineers and all this stuff. So we did that for a long time and I was just a singer in that band. And when the band broke up, I didn't really know. What I was gonna do because I I didn't even have a piano anymore or a keyboard. I had kind of just like gotten rid of them because I hadn't played it in a while. And the band I was in didn't have any keyboards or anything, which sounds crazy now to say that. Right. Um, Like I'm sitting next to a baby grand piano right now. (laughs) 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 Uh, But the you know the first thing that kind of happened was I met uh, like kind of a bunch of punks like pop, like uh, pop punk punks. Okay. Yeah. And, and joined a, really a punk band playing keys r- like within a year after this other, my old band breaking up. <clears throat> and yeah. I just kind of like, I started playing, I, so I got a keyboard, a really cheap keyboard again to start. Cause I was like, well, I can't play a guitar. And if I want to write songs, I got to get at a piano and just, you know, whatever, start, start using that. So, I started playing with all these punk bands as just a thing because I had friends and stuff that were in the bands and started playing in all these punk bands. <clears throat> but I learned a ton from the punk scene because they do everything by themselves. And the punks, like punk music, never stopped doing vinyl. Like they they, they were doing vinyl the whole time. And so that was like the biggest thing because like 2010, I was like, wow, well, vinyl. Really? We got a vinyl. We're putting this on vinyl for real. <laughs> and wow and, and it was like so cool though so i you know and of course i get like my first record player which sounds ridiculous too because i was like 25 24 25 oh no like yeah <laughs> when i first at first i didn't even know how to I mean, operate it, it. It's, <laughs>
1: it's, it's so <laughs> right it's so funny like like i remember you know uh, growing up my dad had a great you know big record player and we you know play all the all the tunes and, and everything on that thing and then and, you know, for year, for decades, there was no need to have a record player. And now it's like, you, you got to have one again.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, yeah, it's such I, a cool I,
1: experience.
0: We, yeah, I can't. I wish that I had. I don't know. It's it's cool. I don't have any memory, childhood memories of like listening to records, but I but I the memory I have of like listening to my first records, I have like, you know, they're pretty vivid because I was so old when it happened. Yeah. Um but yeah, like I remember like the first time I think I was like a, it was like a Van Halen record or something I was like, "Oh, this sounds pretty sick." <laughs> on, <laughs> on a on a, you know, a turntable. Right. Uh, especially like synthesizers, like anything with like Foreigner or something like that. Just yeah. any of those cla- those classic rock bands that had big fat like analog synthesizers. Just uh, I didn't realize how much vinyl really enhanced that stuff. Uh but yeah, so like playing with all those punks and stuff and they they put vinyl out and but they all had these like little labels too like just these guys who would put the records out for them and okay. uh and it wasn't really for them it'd like split the cost or something like that but right all that you know we start so with the dirty gems when i started the, the dirty gems the first cd we had like i made all the packaging for it and stuff and, like, burnt all the CDs and, like, you know, I got these, like, little cardboard, like, CD holder things and, like, right. glued, glued the artwork to the front of D-Y-I, it. DIY, man. <clears throat> yeah, all that stuff. And, like, you know, it wasn't great. Don't get me wrong. But uh, I do think that there's, like, an aspect that you can take from that community and, like, they just put stuff out. It, stuff just comes out. It doesn't yeah. really matter so much that it's not, like, shrink-wrapped. With like glossy, you know, art on the front, they just they just put it out, and the next, you know, they use that as like a building block for whatever the next thing is. And same with like like they tour so much too. All the punk bands and out there, they tour like nonstop, and they pl- of course they play like basement shows and they play house parties and they play right, like they play some- anywhere, <clears throat> yeah. But you know at least at the time of my life when I was doing that stuff, you know, being in like Milwaukee in a basement and it's like 98 degrees in this basement in like July playing these shows and stuff. It was like, it was a really great experience to have. I, you know, as like a 36 year old, I'd probably be really grumpy about it. No AC and all hot and stuff. There's <laughs> a know, time sleep- for that, man. Time. <laughs> exactly. <in the> place. <laughs> yeah. Like sleep, sleeping on like camping pads, you know, on someone's living room floor and all that but it really helped me to just to figure out a way to do stuff. Cause like a lot of times when you're in a band and you're playing and writing songs and putting music out, it it seems like a mountain that you're trying to climb. And it's really hard to envision yourself kind of finishing whatever it is that you're finishing and putting it out there, you know? Uh, So I do think that a part like the, the punk scene taught me a ton about touring and, and just in general about putting music out Uh, and also too, just about how long it takes to get something established. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people never put their music out because they always think it's just not quite ready. And in a lot of those situations, it's never going to get better than what it is. And if you, if you just put it out, then it can be, it's not bad, but it can, you can kind of put you, people can listen to it. They can see that you're doing stuff and you can move on to the next thing. Which will and, be better. like Which will you know? be better. Yeah. Cause yeah. you'll learn so much from putting that out. You know, like I learned a lot having to do my own artwork and like, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. I learned that I shouldn't do my own artwork.
1: <laughs> By the way, that's a valuable
0: <laughs> lesson to be able to give it, that stuff up. <laughs> e- yeah, exact, exactly. And I, and I couldn't have been happier to do it either. At the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but it's a, all that stuff is really huge. And, you know, booking shows. And I, I know it's all for me, it was the punk scene that showed me how to do all that. I'm sure there's other ways that, you know, other, other uh, you know, genres and I'm sure like metal has a similar, a similar vibe, but you know, it's, yeah, it's just a, it's a cool thing. And like a lot of my friends that I'd still book shows with and, and with the dirty gems, they're all from, you know, that kind of like a punk rock scene and initially, um that i met years and years ago there's st- some of them still play punk rock some of them play different stuff or whatever now but we all still kind of keep in touch and help each
1: other out and it's a pretty cool thing to have all that well and what's cool about that kind of background is it kind of makes you um I, I for me like um in similar situations you know in in business and such like like you feel a little bit um oh what's the word um unbreakable i guess like 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 you could like if every if everything right now collapsed you know maybe some virus hits (laughs) who knows Mm, yeah (laughs) but if if the world if the world collapses, or you find yourself like in a weird spot where all of a sudden now chris rogers is an albuquerque you know it's gonna suck but like you have the confidence you know what to do to kind of okay i can i know I, i know the steps i know what i gotta do um, to to build something back up and it'll look different it'll be different but I know what it needs to look like and I and I know how to do it and that that kind of confidence is is pretty powerful
0: yeah yeah and yeah for sure and you know I've seen I've seen it happen and you know to me I've saw other people say that you know kind of would, would have that confidence and me be like oh, really I don't think so uh you know like you like just touring in general i never had really ever been able to figure out how to book a tour in any capacity and uh i remember like joining those punk bands and being like oh we're gonna go on a three-week tour of europe in europe and i was like yeah right (laughs) like (laughs) like, you mean we're going on vacation and we're gonna pay for it like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh you know and it didn't end up being like that like we went multiple times you know to europe and and toured like every country over there and you know wow. didn't didn't uh we had our plane tickets paid for eventually and stuff and you know it just became once you see it, like you know there's all these like little victories really that happen and every time you know you get one it just you know you it, one you learn something but it builds your confidence like you were saying and you can just you know you know I don't have any problems now, uh, booking pretty much from like here to Wisconsin for the most part, from Maine to Wisconsin and, and a lot of places down to Florida. So like there, sometimes if I have to go to like a new market, it can get tricky for a minute, like a week or two while I'm trying to like put feeler emails out and get everything rolling. But for a lot of it, it's just, you know, once you do the hard work the first time you can, you know, hit people up the next time, as long as you weren't like a, a jerk or something
1: like that, you know, right. There, there is something about, you know, not being a jerk in, in life that, that opens doors. Yeah. So. Right. For sure. <laughs> well, I, um, I wanted to ask you also, um, by the way, you you got your guys' album, um, still dirty. Um, I wanted to ask you, you, you've got a great cover. Take me to the pilot. Um, Elton John tune it's really amazing and i want to ask you like how do you approach doing a cover? you've done tons, you've done a million covers, i know, but but like when you're going to actually put it out on an album, what's your guys what's your approach to doing that?
0: Yeah, my i think that half the band really approaches it like let's make this thing really different in our own. I'm not part of that half. <laughs> I, do, I, I just don't even, I don't even care. I, do, I mean, it's not, I don't have any, a thing of, it's not like, I don't have a, an opinion either way really on it. I just kind of go into it and do it. Um, mostly because I've usually already played the song a little bit. Yeah. Uh, in it, c- just cause it's my band. So like, like take me to the pilot. I've been playing it for over 10 years. And so I kind of just kind of play it the way I play it now. Um, but this, Particular cover we took from a live version that Elton did on a record called Seventeen Eleven Seventy,
1: okay, and
0: which is just a date, but it's a live concert from uh, November Seventeenth, nineteen seventy. But it's a radio show. It's re- if you've never heard it, it's like I think it's like one of the best live albums ever. I don't think I have heard that. I got to um, check that out it like you know it's i don't say i don't think it's the best live album ever but it's like up there you can put it up there with like any allman brothers record or like zappa record or uh, live records you know just the, the so good and there was only 3 of them at the time cuz it was just elton uh d murray on bass and nigel olson played drums Who still plays drums with elton d murray died but uh but like Elton's also still ha- like today has like the same band he had back then, which is really cool. That
1: is really cool.
0: But they, yeah, they sound like five or six people. Like it's crazy how good they sound. And Elton is still at the point in his career where he's really aggressive on the piano. Kind of like an early Ben folds sort of vibe. Yeah. Like he's, he's just like really hitting the piano and like, you know, have it sometimes he has like his, his entire palm down, just slamming the keys, just no notes, you know? right Uh, just making noises and stuff like that and i that for me because i'm a pretty aggressive piano player too and so i love that kind of stuff and uh yeah they play take me to the pilot they played a really cool cover a honky tonk woman uh that's like kind of rivals the stones version of it and they do like if you're a big elton fan they do like burn down the mission and they do like a I don't know what it is, like a 15 oh. minute version of it with like all these other songs in between. They do like get back by the Beatles in the middle of burn down the mission. Like it's
1: a big improv oh, wow. thing. And I Elton love, pa- I love playing burn down the Mission." That's one of my favorite songs to play. It's such a great tune.
0: Ah, uh, you know. so good. Yeah. And like they, I mean, it's like, it's amazing how they do like they, they've never, I think that they played like this a lot back then, but um, like I've seen Elton a few years ago and you know, they don't, he does a little bit every once in a while. He'll give you something like a flavor that's off like this live record. But back then it was like this for every song. Yeah. Uh, And it's like a it's a radio show. So there's like 50 people maybe in the audience. And like you hear this guy announce them first. He's like, ladies and gentlemen for ABC radio, Elton John, you know, and they just come out and (laughs) (laughs) And like there's like a little like clapping or whatever. And they they just come out and completely blow these people away but the uh but anyways take me to the pilot is on it and we do basically the same type of version that the live elton band did and okay. take and take me to the pilot for me has been one of my favorite songs ever since i was a kid um i'm from the country really if if you want to think about it like that like uh i grew up a half hour away from portland but portland's not even really a city either it's more just like a big a big town you know okay so, uh so i've always kind of identified with Elton cause Elton was more of a redneck compared to Billy.
1: Right. And Right. And, yeah. B- Billy was, was Mr. New York and, and Elton, Elton was honky tonk, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. And he like Elton, you know, got fab or whatever, like after goodbye, yellow Book road. But before that he was really kind of like had a lot of country influences and a lot of, you know Americana stuff like burn for down the sure. mission, and he's got country comfort that is one of his tunes or whatever off that same record. And uh, so for me, and take me to the pilot is off his I think it's a second record, is like self titled Elton John record, and it's like a honky tonk awesome rock song or like soul song. I don't really know how to like totally describe it, but I've always loved that song, always wanted to play it, and uh, when. The, Ryan Halliburton joined the band. He's he plays bass. He was really he's really into Take Me to the Pilot too, and he kind of pushed a little bit to play it. And I was like, yeah, let's do it, man, let's do it. And it just kind of happened. I really couldn't be. I'm so glad I waited ten years to play it with the band, just because I think that this configuration of the band is the is the configuration to play it, and it has the right yeah. spirit but yeah, uh, yeah. No,
1: there's there something special about your guys' rendition it, it's really cool and 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 halliburton on bass man he he kills it when he hits those core oh man it makes me yeah, rumble. yeah. it's good
0: <laughs> he's, a, he's a guitar like he's an artist himself like he puts records out and you know plays a, he has tons of gigs himself he plays he's the front man he plays guitar and sings uh but he's like this secret bass weapon that like nobody really knows about like at least around town because everybody i always saw him as a guitar player singer okay and I, saw, I actually saw him filling in on bass for a gig for a friend of mine and
1: i was like oh wow we need a bass player what are you doing <laughs> yeah seriously like he uh he's he's very good and he does compliment your i saw a couple of your live shows you know you know as I, as I got into you guys, I saw those on YouTube that you guys put out and, and yeah, he's, he's good. And it's, it's, it's fun to see you guys play. Um, um You know, I, I definitely love the vibe. It, it, you can tell that you guys have a ton of experience playing live and, and that um, uh, <coughs> at your heart, you, you are a live band, you know, trying to do that. And, and I think that that's a man, it, it's great to have something that's not overproduced, but is really well crafted and skilled.
0: Oh, thanks. Yeah. And yeah, I do think I think most of the our cohesion and and stuff that we do that is is considered good anyway, is comes down to that, just that we've all like Ryan's been playing, uh, you know, he's been playing as a full time musician playing songs and doing like the bar scene for like 20 years, something like that. He's played like every kind of style and song you can think of and same with tom he's been doing the same thing and i like i played dueling pianos and or the you know the like the dueling piano show that people go to see yeah yeah Uh, so i've done like those and stuff and like we you know we've all like if you think about tom and i played in a karaoke band for like four or five years (laughs) Uh, that'll
1: get your chops going (laughs) yeah like man
0: that was the hardest we talk about that sometimes and uh (laughs) It was like one of the roughest gigs I've ever been a part of. And it was every week that we had to do it. Oh, man. It it was like we had to know like upwards of like 300 songs on a dime. And like the thing that would happen was that if we knew the song really well, like if the band really knew the song well, we'd have a terrible singer singing it. (laughs) Right. And and like all the really great singers only came up and picked songs that we'd never played.
1: (laughs) So... Did you guys play Limelight?
0: <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. We, luckily, we didn't. We didn't play Limelight. Oh man! I, although, if I probably would have had a pretty easy part playing like one yeah, synth, you probably synth would synth have. note or something. But the uh, I remember so, like we used to play "When Doves Cry" by Prince. Right, and <clears throat> it's like, why are we even doing this song? Like, why is it on the list? There's n- <laughs> there's no bass in the whole song whatsoever. It's just drums and keyboards. And at the time I had like a four or $500 keyboard, which sounds like a lot, but that's not a lot. It's terrible. It's <laughs> a bad, it's a bad keyboard. It was a Casio, a Casio Privia. I'm looking at it right now. It's still, it's oh, like, yeah. up, it's like a, leaning up against the wall. It's been, dude. that's a classic been, man. <laughs> it's been leaning. Yeah. It's been leaning against the wall for like 10 years now, I think, but it's still, it's, I still have it, but does it,
1: does it have the speakers in the front or?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right I actually on. put a, I put a, a bumper sticker. Uh, I don't know if you guys have Narragansett beer out there, but out he- no. there's a Massachusetts beer called Narragansett. Okay. Their whole their whole motto is "High Neighbor." That's like <laughs> so. I have a "High Neighbor" <laughs> sticker over the privia where the privia thing was on the castle. Yeah. I didn't want anybody to know. I was like, oh, this is like <laughs> this is like a rough, He's rough situation. <clears throat> but like anyway. th- those basement shows and stuff I was talking about this keyboard was the keyboard doing all that back then anyways but uh but yeah so we used to make fun of this keyboard and we we'd say it had authentic sounds because it <laughs> because it like literally never had the right sound for the <laughs> song that we were playing <laughs> But So we would play like When Doves Cry, which is all keyboards and like a pretty crazy keyboard synth solo, which the guy guy that played on the Prince record didn't even play it live. It's all sequenced through MIDI and stuff. And so and it's like a five minute long song or something like that. And we'd get up there and it'd just be the singer just killing it. And then there's me, the only person playing any sort of like chords or anything for this person to sing and I'm just destroying it, playing everything wrong. (laughs) And you know, (laughs) and like, it's just, uh, it's unbelievable. I remember like Kurt Baker, who's also on wicked cool. He played in the same karaoke band for a little while. And, uh, I remember one time somebody asked for lights by journey. And, uh, and, and (laughs) Kurt walked right over to me on stage and he's like, Hey man, what's a song. I never heard it. And I was like, I was like, one dude is on the list. <laughs> it's two. How are, do you go through life without ever hearing lights by journeying? And, and so like, I start, I start like singing him the song. I'm like, you know, dude, like when the lights go out you know. and he's like, never heard it. <laughs> and no and so, yeah, so we play, we play the song and it's, uh, it's like Tom, who's in the dirty gems, me and we had like a different drummer and then Kurt is playing bass. And we play the song, and of course, it's just like unbelievably bad. We butcher it and stuff like that. And but we got like the guitar line is in there and stuff. And after the song, I I like went over to Kurt and I was like, "So you know that song? You know I'm talking what song we're talking about or whatever." And he's like, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> Even after. so, I was like, "Well, good for you then, man. Like if if you missed out, al- get
1: out album. my Journey Greatest Hits album and bar- let yeah. you l- lend it to you."
0: <laughs> yeah, we've had simple, same thing. Like we had to play uh, "I Love It When They Call Me Big Papa." Yeah, and, by Notorious B.I.G. And it, I, mean, I think this was actually like Kurt's first gig when he started filling in. Came like we had he he was like took over as the new bass player. Same thing. It's just me, him, and a drummer up there, and both of us had no idea how the song went. <laughs> <laughs> like no clue. And and the right. uh, you know that sample that's I know how to play it now, but like that sample that's used is a pretty intense. Uh, chord progression. It's not like something that you can just kind of like pull out of nowhere and fake it. <laughs> so I don't know what we played, but somebody rapped. Uh, I love it when they call me Big Papa over just these random chords that we decided. To play. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: yeah. So, like, just like a lot of situations like that have helped out, and it, you know, we all. It's weird that we all have come back to play together in other bands and stuff like that. Like Kurt is the first band I toured in Europe with Kurt's band. Oh, wow. Uh, Okay. Yeah. And just but we, you know, uh, he actually lives in Spain now, but we, you know, we both grew up here in in Portland or whatever. But uh, it's like, yeah, it's just like a weird kind of like uh, path to take in life or whatever. And you just got to, you know, sort of do what you can as it comes. (laughs) Right. So but they help out as far as your playing goes. And, you know, I got a lot I like I can be on stage and not laugh at somebody for a good amount of time before I break now <laughs> that's a skill of, because just because of karaoke yeah like unbelievable sometimes <laughs> the, the not no most of the time it wasn't the singer's fault it's the band you know laughing at ourselves but right gotta, right right you got to try to make them feel like you know what you're doing and you're not
1: <laughs> r- ruining their experience <laughs> oh man well, Chris, I, I want to thank you, man. This has been so much fun. I, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you. This is uh, uh, Chris Rogers from Chris Rogers and the Dirty Gems. Um, you can find him at Chris Rogers. By the way, that's with a K and with a D, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it's a very common name spelled uncommonly. Right. So, ChrisRogers.com. I, I definitely, I'll have those in the show notes. Check out uh, Chris Rogers and the Dirty Gems, their new album, uh, Still Dirty. Uh, and, uh, man, and, and definitely if you're in the Boston area, if you're in New Jersey, if you're in Portland, check them out They're they're a lot of fun. Check out their YouTube channel too, man. There's some, there, you got some good stuff up there. Some, some, not just stuff with the band, but you got some solo stuff up there. You got some his some rock history. I saw it's pretty cool. Oh stuff, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, for sure. And we've got more, we're working on some more videos right now too. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah, Ryan um, has a green screen and stuff, so that's like how we made some of the
1: other videos. But we've—I uh, saw the other. video for—is it "I'm Your Man"? Is that
0: the name of it? Oh yeah, we have a video for that. Yeah, that was sure. a great that was, video.
1: That was a lot. Of, that was, a, that, was a, that was like a, you guys had a fun time putting together.
0: Uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's my girlfriend in the video, and she she had to she had to have uh I don't know how to say this over a podcast. She had to have. Stuff in her system to get her to do it, <laughs> <laughs> and the bo- the bottle is like in the video a couple times. <laughs> but needless to say, uh what's that? What is that cinnamon whiskey called? Uh, oh, the f- Fireball. Uh, the I think. Fireball. Is what, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: that's what it was. Yeah, we were, supposed to, we
0: were supposed to be like sharing it. I never got any of it though. <laughs>
1: By the way, that was a pretty funny scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, She was like so nervous to do to do the video though. So I'm, I'm oh like, she yeah, was I'm really did happy it. she did it. Yeah, but usually I'm, I don't usually make her do anything like that. So
1: it, it turned out good, man. That was that was a lot of fun. But uh, I hope I hope guys who are listening check him out. He's a great guy. He's a lot of fun. obviously you know if you. If you listen, he's, he's a lot of fun to, to listen to. He's got a great. By the way, we haven't even talked about your voice. Your voice is really great, man. I, I really oh, dig it. Oh, thank you. Um, really soulful sounds. It sounds amazing. I hope you guys will check out the new album "Still Dirty" by Chris Rogers and the Dirty Gems. Um, thanks for being on. Let's do it. I would love to have you on again sometime, man.
0: Yeah, Mike. I would say I would love to be on again. Uh, and thanks for having me anytime.
1: Uh, I will come back
0: whenever you would let me. <laughs>
1: hey well maybe maybe we'll do it you know you know after you after your little november jaunt and we can talk about touring i post covid
0: yeah i know yeah I'll, i'm sure i'll have some stuff to say about
1: that for sure yeah <laughs> i'm not, i'm looking forward to it but not at the same time right yeah no it, it, it's it's good it'll be interesting but thanks man i, I appreciate it but um this is mike levitt and you guys have been listening to and if love remains